Welcome to Wrestling with Theology. My name is Doug Minton. I am your host. I am the pastor at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, as well as a lifelong wrestling fan. Wrestling with Theology wrestles with the history of pro wrestling as well as the theology of the Lutheran Church. This week's profile features Kurt Henning, the last and greatest of the Robbinsdale Seven. For wrestlers before WWF's Attitude Era, Henning is my second favorite only behind Jerry Lawler. But his best work was in the WWF as Mr. Perfect. I first became familiar with Kurt when ESPN started broadcasting AWA programming instead of the Legends of World Class Championship Wrestling. Since beginning Green Friday Wrestling and getting more and more into early 80s wrestling, I have grown in my appreciation of his ability. Kurt was a childhood friend of Rick Rude. He is also a 1976 graduate of Robbinsdale High School. Of the Robbinsdale Seven, he is the only one to actually begin his career in the AWA. That was highly due to his father, Larry the Axe Henning's stardom in the promotion. Kurt began his wrestling career in 1980 in the AWA as Cool Kurt Henning. He went on to the WWF in 1982 to feud with Playboy Buddy Rose and formed a tag team with fellow second-generation wrestler Eddie Gilbert. Kurt left the WWF in 1984 to return to Minnesota. During this run, he captured the World Tag Team titles with Scott Hall and then the World Heavyweight title from Nick Bockwinkle. Kurt spent a good portion of his second run in the AWA in a long-standing feud between himself and his father against Vern and Greg Gagne. Eventually, Kurt joined the Diamond Exchange with Diamond Dallas Page and Medusa Michelli. Kurt held on to the AWA World Heavyweight title for 53 weeks until he dropped the title to Lawler at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis on May 9, 1988. Like many other AWA stars in the mid and late 80s, Kurt left the AWA to go to the WWF for more money and national exposure. With his move to WWF, he took on the Mr. Perfect gimmick, including an almost two-year winning streak. The streak began at WrestleFest in 1988. The Ultimate Warrior ended the streak on March 19, 1990. However, Vince kept the streak going on television until WrestleMania 6. Kurt won the Intercontinental title on May 19, 1990 via a tournament after the Ultimate Warrior had defeated Hogan for the world title. Once he won the title, he brought it in Bobby Heenan as his perfect manager. He dropped the title on August 18th to Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, but regained it on December 15th. Kurt lost the title to Bret Hart at SummerSlam that year. Kurt dropped the title to Bret primarily so he could recover from a back injury. As part of this, he retired to become the color commentator on Superstars, along with Vince McMahon, as well as Ric Flair's executive consultant. In this role, Kurt helped Flair through two world title reigns in 1992. He made his return to the ring at Survivor Series 92, where he and Randy Savage defeated Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. This began a major feud with Flair. The feud ended when Kurt beat Flair in a Loser Leaves WWF match on January 25, 1993. After Flair, Kurt had feuds with Lex Luger, uh, known as the Narcissist, Shawn Michaels, and The Click. Kurt's back problems flared up and sidelined him for another year, during which he served as color commentator for superstars and pay-per-views. Kurt came over to WCW in mid-97, making his first appearance in a brawl that took place after the main event on June 30th, Monday Nitro. 
His first match was as Diamond Dallas Page's mystery tag team partner at Bash at the Beach against Randy Savage and Scott Hall. Kurt turned against his former manager during the match. Both the Four Horsemen and the New World Order recruited him to join their stable. He ultimately took Arn Anderson's spot in the Horsemen for War Games. During the War Games match, though, Henning turned on the Horsemen and joined the NWO. His betrayal was voiced as he took exception to Flair's claim to be the wrestler that made Minnesota famous. The night after War Games, Kurt beat horseman Steve McMichael for the U.S. heavyweight title, making him one of the few wrestlers to have held both the Intercontinental and U.S. titles. In fall of 97, Kurt and Rick Rude reunited in the NWO, with Rude serving as his advisor. Once again, an injury sidelined Kurt for the better part of a year. When he returned, he and Rude joined NWO Wolfpack. However, their villain tendencies didn't work well with the fan-favorite Wolfpack. They eventually joined NWO Hollywood at the Great American Bash. When Hollywood and Wolfpack factions of the NWO reunited, Kurt was placed in the NWO B team with a bunch of mid-carters. He was eventually kicked out of the NWO on January 25, 99. Shortly after leaving the NWO, Kurt formed a tag team with Barry Windham. They won the world tag team titles at Super Brawl 9. In May, the tag team formed a stable known as the West Texas Rednecks. They represented old-school country musicians. They feuded with No Limit Soldiers using their own song, Rap as Crap, as their entrance theme. When the Rednecks disbanded, Kurt began a storyline where the powers that be stated any pinfall loss he incurred would result in his retirement. However, he was reinstated a month later by the same powers that be. Kurt's last feud in WCW was with Sean Stasiak, who called himself the Perfect One. Kurt came back to the WWF as Mr. Perfect at Royal Rumble 2002. He wrestled with WWF for four months before being released due to an altercation with Brock Lesnar and several bouts of drunkenness. After being released from WWF, Jeff Jarrett signed Kurt to work with Total Nonstop Action, where he feuded with world champion Ron Killings. Kurt's last match ever was against David Flair on January 8, 2003. Kurt was found dead in his Tampa hotel room on February 10, 2003. His death was ruled to be acute cocaine intoxication. After his death, both WWF and TNA aired video tributes for Kurt. However, the Henning wrestling legacy is far from over. Kurt's son Joseph currently wrestles in the WWF as Curtis Axel, a tribute to both his father and his grandfather. Joseph has held both the Intercontinental title and the Raw version of the World Tag Team titles in his short career. Kurt's daughter Amy is also a professional wrestler with Harley Race's World League Wrestling, where she is a three-time ladies champion. Kurt was one of these guys that you could easily love to hate especially as Mr. Perfect, because everything was just perfect. I'll be back in a moment with Common Ground.
This month on Common Ground, we begin with the prologue of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Part 1. The Life of Man to Know and Love God God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. He calls together all men, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son as Redeemer and Savior. In his Son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. In these opening words, we really have nothing to disagree with our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters about. Uh, the first portion of it is straight out of the Bible, uh, scripture quotations. And yes, God has at all times and in all places given himself to draw close to man so that man might draw close to him to become part of his people, whether it's been Old Testament Israel or the New Testament church. God has always called people to be in his church. Paragraph 2. So this call should resound throughout the world. Christ sent forth the apostles he had chosen, commissioning them to proclaim the gospel. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Strengthened by this mission, the apostles went forth and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that attended it. These closing comments from the Gospels of Matthew and Mark show exactly how God calls people to draw near to him, and that is through his apostles, his sent ones, nowadays the pastors, but also all Christians, as this is the great crux of evangelism, is going out and telling people about Jesus. Paragraph 3 is where we begin to have some issue. Those who with God's help have welcomed Christ's call and freely responded to it are urged on by love for Christ to proclaim the good news everywhere in the world. This treasure received from the apostles has been faithfully guarded by their successors. All Christ's faithful are called to stand all Christ faithful are called to hand it on from generation to generation by professing the faith, by living it in fraternal sharing, and by celebrating it in liturgy and prayer. The question and issue becomes, what does it mean that with God's help we have welcomed Christ's call? Well, with the Roman Catholic understanding of imputed grace, mankind has a small spark that allows him to start to draw near, but God has to finish it. Very Pelagian in their ideas. Whereas the Bible and the Reformers were strong to say, no, it is not us who draw near to God, it is God who draws us near to him through his word and sacraments. So while we disagree with 
some of the wording and the way they use it, we do have to say yes, yes, to the fact that all Christ faithful are called to hand it on from generation to generation. Parents teaching the faith to their children uh, by professing the faith, by living it in fraternal sharing, and by celebrating in liturgy and prayer, which means being in church. Part two of the prologue, handing on the faith, catechesis. Paragraph four. Quite early on, the name catechesis was given to the totality of the church's efforts to make disciples, to help men believe that Jesus is the Son of God, so that believing they might have life in his name, and to educate and instruct them in this life, thus building up the body of Christ. Catechesis goes with Jesus' command to teach the ones who have been baptized to know the faith, to know the things that he has given us to share and to know. This quickly became known as catechesis. Paragraph 5. Catechesis is an education in the faith of children, young people, and adults, which especially the teaching of Christian doctrine imparted, generally speaking, in an organic and systematic way with a view to initiating the hearers into the fullness of Christian life. This definition of catechesis goes back to the ancient way of the church where you had those who were classified as hearers, those who were catechumens, and then those who were the, uh, the confirmed. The hearers were the ones who heard, who were only allowed to hear the sermon, the liturgy, and things like that, but were dismissed at the time of the offering. Of the catechumens the same way. They were past the just hearing phase, but they were going through the confirmation courses in the systematic way that the church had provided in that place so that they were becoming part of the confirmed. Of the confirmed were those who had been baptized and have been accepted into the communion of the altar in that congregation. The ancient church practiced such a enclosed form of closed communion that it you really had to have a letter from your pastor if you were visiting another congregation to say that you were a member in good standing and you were able to ask to be invited into the communion fellowship in that congregation. Unfortunately, we have gotten so far beyond that in our world, even in the Lutheran Church, that we should really think about restoring this idea back to us again. But catechesis is the education in the faith. Paragraph 6. While not being formally identified with them, catechesis is built on a certain number of elements of the church's pastoral mission, which have a catechetical aspect that prepare for catechesis or spring from it. They are the initial proclamation of the gospel or missionary preaching to arouse faith, examination of the reasons for belief, experience of Christian living, celebration of the sacraments, integration into ecclesiastical community, and apostolic and missionary witness. These are basically the, the outline for the catechism of the Catholic Church. We start off with the proclamation of the faith, especially through the Apostles' Creed, but then we go into the examination for the reasons to believe the experience of Christian living and the Ten Commandments, the celebration of the sacraments, and all seven of the church's sacraments, as we'll look at over the course of time. But finally, into witness through the Lord's Prayer. These are the avenues that the Catholic Church believes should be 
involved. To use the Lutheran term, those are the chief parts of their catechism. Paragraph 7. Catechesis is intimately bound up with the whole of the church's life, not only her geographical extension and numerical increase, but even more her inner growth and correspondence with God's plan depend essentially on catechesis. This is where the rubber hits the road in the 21st century. And it's been this way for decades, I know. But the problem with catechesis is people confine it to a certain age, a certain room, a certain style, and that it doesn't go anywhere past that. But catechesis is life. Even in the, even in the catechism of the Catholic Church, catechesis goes on all the time. Whether you are a toddler just learning the basics of the words of the liturgy to the catechumens in confirmation class seeking to become better acquainted with the faith to those who have been confirmed and are middle-aged and continuing to grow in their faith, even up to those who are in the 80s, 90s, and 100s who still need to hear God's word, still know that there is more to learn from their Heavenly Father than what they picked up years and years ago in confirmation class. Because, honestly, it doesn't matter if you teach two years, three years, five years, ten years. You cannot exhaust the catechism or the Bible through the catechesis. It is a lifelong journey that you undertake in catechesis. Paragraph 8. Periods of renewal in the church are also intense moments of catechesis. In the great era of the fathers of the church, saintly bishops devoted an important part of their ministry to catechesis. St. Cyril of Jerusalem and St. John Chrysostom, St. Ambrose and St. Augustine, and many other church fathers wrote catechetical works that remain models for us. The ministry of catechesis draws ever fresh energy from the councils. The Council of Trent is a noteworthy example of this. It gave catechesis a priority in the constitutions and decrees. It lies at the origin of the Roman Catechism, which is also known by the name of that council and which is a work of the first rank as a summary of Christian teaching. The Council of Trent initiated a remarkable organization of the Church's catechesis. Thanks to the work of holy bishops and theologians such as St. Peter Canasius, St. Charles Boromo, St. Toribius of Margevo, or, or St. Robert Bellarmine, it occasioned the publication of numerous catechisms. It is therefore no surprise that catechesis in the Church has again attracted attention in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, which Pope Paul VI considered the great catechism of modern times. The General Catechetical Directory of 71, the, session, the sessions of the Synod of Bishops devoted to evangelization in 74, and catechesis in 77, the Apostolic Exhortations Evangelii Nutiandi in 75, and Catechesi Tridende in 79 attest to this. The Extraordinary Synod of Bishops in 85 asked that a catechism or compendium of all Catholic doctrine regarding both faith and morals be composed. The Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, made the Synod's wish his own, acknowledging that this desire wholly corresponds to a real need of the universal church and of the particular churches. He set in motion everything needed to carry out the Synod Father's wish. In these paragraphs talking about the periods of renewal, uh, the times where there were deep distress because of 
heresies and schisms in the church, these are the times where catechesis has come into play more and more. It's come to the forefront again and again. Whether it's Augustine, whether it's the Council of Trent because of the Lutheran Reformation, whether it's the Second Vatican Council, whether it's the other side, you know, the Lutheran Reformation uh, with Luther, the Reformed uh, churches under Calvin and Zwingli, all of these guys understood the importance of catechesis. And I think maybe 50 years after the beginning of the Second Vatican Council, we need to look again at the need for catechism in our churches because it is woefully lacking. We'll look more into the prologue next month of Common Ground as we take a look at the aim and intended readership of the catechism and then go on further into the practical directions of the catechism. Thank you for your time and listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more, go back to our archives to hear the previous episodes of Wrestling with Theology. Also hear Sunday morning sermons from Redeemer. If you're in the Twin Cities area on Sunday morning, you are welcome to join us at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church at 4201 Regent Avenue North in Robbinsdale, just off of the corner of 42nd Avenue and Highway 100. Just look for Jesus blessing the travelers along the road. Our services are at 9 a.m. We have Bible study at 10.30 following the service with coffee hour in between. We encourage you, anytime you are in the area, to join us for worship and to wrestle with theology with